With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, deputy editor and chief critic. Joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Ann, we've got a lot of stuff to discuss today because even as we had this sense after TIFF, that we kind of knew what the fall was like. New updates keep coming. We now have both opening and closing night film at AFI Fest, so you've got a chance out there on the West Coast to see two more fall season movies. Although, do you think that uh, either of the opening night film or the closing night film on the basis of sex and Mary Queen of Scots are really going to shake up the conversation? What's the expectation over there? Well, um, we haven't seen them, so I'm not going to judge them uh, in advance, I, what I hear through the grapevine is that uh, there may be some good performances coming out of them. And certainly you're looking at a, a kind of, you know, royal uh, squabbling match there <laughs> between uh, cousins, uh, you know, royal cousins, Elizabeth and Mary Queen of Scots. So you've got Saoirse Ronan and, and Margot Robbie uh, in costume in a period drama. I mean, I think the favorite is the one that yeah, we can all say. assume is going to be the higher end version uh, of that kind of, of movie. But that doesn't mean Saoirse Ronan, who's really an Oscar perennial, and Margot Robbie, who got nominated. They both got nominated last year for I, Tanya and... Um, Ladybird, uh, they're you know they're not to be underestimated. So we shall see. Um, I, I basically those films weren't ready to be in the fall lineup, and I think Focus made a very calculated decision that AFI Fest, which is in November, which is in LA, which is right in the center of all the awards action, was a good a good. It's always been a, a launching pad for movies like American Sniper and 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 others. Which brings up Clint Eastwood finally jumping in with the mule as we uh, had, I'd heard, I'd heard he was trying to finish in time. We, we've seen Eastwood do this before, just squeeze into, I mean, American Mil- Million Dollar Baby is the classic and it went on to win Best Picture. I, I mean, mean um, it, it really, Best Actress for uh, for Hilary Swank. And it's, so it'll forth. be the second Clint Eastwood movie of the year after the more interesting than most people gave it credit for, 1517 to Paris. I assume this one is probably at least the studio must have confidence that it's going to play a little bit better than that film did, which was basically ignored and maligned by most critics. In this particular case, you have Bradley Cooper already in the conversation with Stars Born. So I guess it'll, it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, if this movie does insert itself into the conversation, it can only help amplify Bradley Cooper's profile in the weeks ahead. Well, I'm 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 sure Bradley's rooting for Clint on some level, but it does pit the two best actors against each other. Um, Bradley, of course, in A Star Is Born, which I went to see it a second time at the premiere here in L.A. Um, just curious to see how it played uh, here, and it had played so well in Toronto. 
Um, and it was down at the shrine, which is uh, the setting for one of the big uh, Lady Gaga songs in the movie, the, the final one. Um, and I learned all sorts of, of things about the movie. You, you work the room, you, you learn, you know, it's been edited a lot, it's been tested a lot, but it certainly plays. And I have to assume uh, that my gut response is that it will be an enormous hit. And, now, did you and watch the movie again when you were Yes, asked? yeah. So what's it like the second time around? Because oh, that's a good question. The, film, yeah. the first time, I felt like so much about this movie had been telegraphed to me by the time I sat down for it. And it didn't surprise Because of its trailer. It was I, one of the yeah, best it, trailers I've ever seen. It, well, depends on, on what you're going for. I mean, to me, I was like, eh, it's, I kind of get what this movie's about. And it didn't surprise me, except that I did think that Lady Gaga is 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 more exceptional than I was prepared for. I really feel like she defines the movie. The movie I found I thought it was okay. It didn't it didn't wow me. But again, it's not my not my kind of movie. I'm, yeah, I'm we've, a had, we've had this conversation before. No. You're you're not a big one for uh, mainstream studio romances, uh, which is what this is. And it's a musical, and it's a live musical. I have a great deal of respect for what Bradley Cooper did, and I recognize also that the screenplay was very good. It's a very good screenplay. It's a very tight screenplay. The dialogue is very good. It's very real. It's very and what he's done with the acting. Um, there's a scene in the opening hour uh, during the whole falling in love part of the movie, which is really good. The whole thing at the beginning, the first hour is pretty damn good. And there's an, uh, a parking lot scene where the two, where she starts to sing and, and he's fixing her hand. And it's just one of the most, um, it's a long, uh, quiet, uh, deliberate, very well uh, directed scene and well acted scene. And then there's another, um, I mean, the singing is all great. I, I agree with you that Lady Gaga is, is owning this, but she's better in the first half than in the second. And Bradley has to play this, this character that's been played so many times before. And the relationship between him and uh, his brother, played by the great, great um, Elliot, uh, you know, the, the, the white-haired Sam Elliot with the gravelly voice and Bradley Cooper's basically uh, leaning into that gravelly voice and imitating him and, and their brothers and there's a relationship there. He's going to get nominated also, Sam Elliott, finally, after all well, these years. Well, I, I think he's good in the movie and I understand the appreciation for him. He's not in, I think this narrative... No. It's very short. You're right. That's why I checked it out the second time. And there's this one moment, uh, for those of you who have not seen it, it doesn't mean anything to you, but there's this one moment where it's very quick, where he turns around in a car with some emotion. And I, I said, ah, that's it. He's, he's going to get nominated. You know, sometimes this happens, like in Roma. There's one scene in Roma that's devastatingly emotional. I won't say which one. And at the end of it, I went, oh, she's going to get nominated. I mean, it's just yeah. I mean, there's a lot that of eye blink that. moment where you realize that there's a an ele there's an elevated moment that has to be recognized. I will say though, there is a there is a part of um, there's an aspect of the way a star is born is being anticipated that I wonder if it will be in its favor or or work against it and, and possibly even relegate it to a punchline this season because that that in part from the that's in the trailer that's so widely cited. Where, uh, where where Cooper sort of 
out of the window is like, hey, I just wanted to get another look at you, has been, become this, you know, internet meme that is being kind of joked about by people who haven't even seen it. And that is, I think, sort of like the optics of that are weird, right? Because part of what this movie is about, even though this guy is deeply flawed, is Indeed. that this is a guy propping up this woman and to some degree kind of fetishizing her as, and, and, and then later seeing her as his savior from all the bad things going on in his life. And I don't know if that, if that is a satisfying story for us to be celebrating. I right think there's now. something, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I think they all recognize that the, the optics of, of, of someone with a serious drug and drinking addiction, um, you know, you have to be careful. I think they were very careful about it. I actually think that the, uh, what it's really about besides the fact that they fall in love with each other, but part of why they fall in love with each other is they recognize each other's talent and it's about expressing yourself. And he helps to free her up from her shyness and her, um, lack of confidence to, to express herself fully. And, and she goes along with it and allows him to do that. And I was very touched by their relationship. I believed it. And uh, there's something about this movie and all the different movies like it and related to it uh, that resonates still uh, to this day. And I think it will play. I think it will play very well. Whether yeah. it's a, a best picture winner, yeah, different uh, question. It's a whole other question. Well, I mean, it's just uh, there's so many different kinds of movies in the conversation this year. This certainly does seem like the the most commercial one we've encountered so far. Well, Black Panther. I mean, but Black Panther is is an anomaly in the sense we've never seen a, a superhero movie at the center of this conversation. So, if Black Panther is a, is is a major best picture front runner as opposed to Star is Born, I think that would in some ways be more radical. Star is Born. Well, I'm, I'm going to argue that, that there will be, you know, there, there could be several relatively mainstream studio movies in, in, in the race this year. We shall see. We shall see. I mean, I am fascinated by, by Clint, uh, the other person he could go up against. He's playing, uh, he's an octogenarian and he's playing an octogenarian and he's going up against another octogenarian who says this will be his last acting role, which Clint is saying about, about uh, the mule, um, which is Robert Redford in uh, The Old Man and the Gun, which is opening this week, uh, David Lowry's movie. And yeah. I, I, I am a little concerned, even with Fox Searchlight behind it, uh, that this very quiet, understated, charming, delightful movie uh, has the big guns going that will keep it in, in the race for a right. long time. Well, it's I mean, also it's Fox Searchlight is is very canny about how it campaigns for certain movies and it's got some really good movies already that um including the favorite yeah so so it's like you know this this one is maybe maybe not one that it's going to go all in for but the other challenge is and I recall this from all his loss is redford is not the most aggressive he doesn't like campaigning yeah. for himself he's, he's making Robert appearances Redford. he went to telluride he went to toronto he's making appearances but he's not he hates campaigning so you can you're right he won't no one's gonna won't win go all in and 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 eastwood, eastwood. he likes to campaign to a degree yeah. it's like all about you know ego and and kind of embracing the stardom that redford kind of just coasts on so I mean, that that is kind of fascinating, though, to think about those two guys competing after all these decades. 
it's certainly quite a contrast to some of the weirder, edgier uh, possibilities that are in contention this year. So if indeed the mule ends up being a part of the conversation in that. Suppose it's so good. I mean, I haven't seen it, obviously. I have no idea. But if it were really good, you could end up with with Bradley Cooper and Clint Eastwood, (laughs) best director, which is very odd to have two actor uh, directors in there. And, And Joel Edgerton has a movie which won't end up there, but he would like it to, Boy Erased. Yeah, I mean, this is also a very weird year anyway, because we have, I mean, this was something we were going to talk about in the context of New York Film Festival, which we'll get to in a bit, but you also have Roma and Cold War, both of which are going gunning for foreign language, but could also potentially be in the best picture category. So in terms of what, what a traditional Oscar season looks like, it certainly seems like there, there's more porousness to the categories. Well, I mean, on the one hand, we have these big studio movies that, that could be in the race, nice, big budget, healthy, uh, mainstream studio movies. And on the other, <laughs> John Bailey, the Academy president's worst nightmare as they head into the uh, you know Oscar uh, show that they're, they, they were proposing a best popular film category for, you know, and they've invited all these people from all over the world and younger people and more diverse uh, academy members. Well, the upside of that is that you could have Cold War, black and white, Polish foreign language entry starring unknown Joanna Kulig, who's amazing. And I hope she breaks out. Yeah, she's Um, awesome. She's beautiful. Uh, and and then you have um, the the Roma, which plays for, I mean, it, it, it actually came in third ahead of A Star is Born in Toronto. However, that voting was going online and, and it doesn't feel the same as it did before. But at any rate, at any rate, Roma played well and it does play well and it's very emotional and it's black and white and it's uh, Spanish language from Mexico. So you, you could have that in multiple categories as well. Yeah, no, it's, it, it'll be fascinating to see how that all shakes down because the weeks ahead, there's going to be more opportunities for these movies to kind of get to audiences and we'll just see more and more amplification of their campaigns right now. It's been more disparate, but it's just going to get more and more, Dense. And this extends also to the documentary side of things, which is more more fascinating in the way that it unfolds because it starts so much earlier in the year when you're exposed to these movies. But, you know, most of the movies we're talking about in the other categories, a lot of them come late to the party, more like in the fall season. We just got this Doc NYC shortlist. So this is sort of Tom Powers' survey of sorts of the of the documentaries that he thinks are in the conversation. Yeah, so basically he's the the chief uh, documentary programmer at TIFF, so he has a say there. And then he's also uh, the chief programmer, artistic director at DAC NYC, but he, and then he's the one who solely creates, he has people programming with him. Then he has, he curates this list of 15 movies that are designed uh, by him to reflect on some level what now there are a lot there's the IDA and there's uh, uh, other groups that are voting uh, including mine at, at the Broadcast Film Critics uh, Association we're already voting this is how early it is uh, we're working on our votes right now and I've been in sort of intense 
screening mode, trying to catch up because the list is very, very long. And I know a lot of Academy members um, are getting stacks and stacks of, of doc screeners. It's impossible for them to see them all. Yeah. So this is a very helpful curated list. And I think very reflective of what the final, it always overlaps to a it's degree. It's been an interesting project because I know over the years people have said, well, maybe they need a committee or something because it's like one person making these calls. He does very well. well I mean, how much is he dictating what will be and how much is he reflecting well, just the quality of the films? You know, people who, who, who feel threatened by it might say that, you know, either way. By one man. Yeah, yeah. but, but, but I, I do think, I mean, I'm an individual, you're an individual. A lot of us have our outlets where we, you know, look at the field through whatever limitations we have, and we come up with our own determinations about what's worth seeing and talking about. So, on some level, this is a variation of that. And I, I talked to him about this. My sense is that this selection for this section is tweaked after Toronto, so it's not like it's just seeing the movies and making a decision, it's seeing No, there's three. Play. There's three of them in there from Toronto, which is Netflix. You have to take all sorts of things into account. He has sponsors. He has distributors who supply him with films. He has uh, people to keep happy. For example, if he's giving them vendors a big award, then he sort of makes focus, sponsor focus features happy by putting Pope Francis in, which isn't really going to be, um, I think, uh, an Oscar contender for all sorts of reasons. And then, and then you have, you know, Quincy from, you know, Netflix has like three of them and there's two from, from HBO. Uh, but this year he did lean in uh, more than he has in the past to uh, women filmmakers and first-time filmmakers and filmmakers of diversity. So it is a very diverse list. And I was happy, very happy that he included one of my favorites of the year, Crime and Punishment from Stephen Mang, which is very uh, good. I'm going to catch up with that one. I'm also a broadcast critics voter, so I need to I have a few gaps I need to fill in. I haven't seen Jane Fonda, Life and Five That. I haven't seen that yet either. And he was raving about that. Some of the stuff on here is so far removed from traditional award season. You mean like shirkers? Uh, shirkers, I, I would love to see. I mean, in, in if that movie really got a lot of love from the Academy, which is not unthinkable, that could that could happen. I was thinking more about something like Hale County this morning, this evening, which is totally experimental, a photographer's sort of document of this Southern community over the course of several years. But it's nice. No, the more likely contenders, um, and I have to catch up with Hale County myself. It's on my definitely on my must see list. Um, the more likely contenders, of course, are the three big hits from the summer: Three Identical Strangers, RBG, and Won't You Be My Neighbor, and um, and I think Free Solo. Yeah, Free Solo. To me, I mean, we talked about this last week. Free it Solo could take over. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see how it performs because it's just opening this weekend. It just seems like a movie that there will be a, a bigger conversation about the filmmaking here uh, than there is in some of these other cases where it's more about the subject matter and how well treated that subject matter is. Minding the Gap is another one that I, that I think could have a, a, you know, be a conversation starter of sorts. Because I was happy to see that in there and people should totally see yeah, it. And, and that guy will win a lot of first time filmmaking. Yeah, Bing Liu is like 24, 25. I don't know. And it's a very personal story. Much like the other movie I was glad to see on there. I saw it Sundance called The Sentence, which is HBO. That's a serious. And it's picked theory. up by them. And it's 
totally emotional, incredible story about a woman who's put in prison and the impact it has on her family, uh, made by her brother, who's a really good filmmaker. And of course, there's the Michael Moore Rudy movie, Valdez. which I feel like if he, if that wasn't on there, you'd have a problem with Michael Moore. But that movie flopped pretty hard, and not everybody's over the moon about it. It's too. interesting. Everybody, Michael Moore is on Twitter, and and Tom Moore and Tom Powers even said to me, "Well, it's the biggest opening a documentary has ever had. You know, over three million dollars." And it was like. Yeah, it was in 1700 screens and it had a very poor per screen average. Remember what these things mean. Um, so it really isn't going to make uh, a lot of money now. And, and I, well. I mean, it's, it should not be a surprise to anyone. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing shocking or, or there are no huge revelations in this movie. I, I did not, we watched it together. I think both of us kind of we got stuff out of watching it. It's, it's I enjoyed it. It was entertaining. And the strong stuff was the Flint, Michigan and the, the, the Parkland kids. And, and he went into, he, he leaned into what he knew might sustain over time. This is the problem. He's, yeah. he's, he's competing with real, when have we ever encountered a fast moving news cycle? Speaking of which we're recording during the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah, uh, I got you know, in the back. Crazy, crazy stuff going on in our lives. And but that's a movie itself. Important stuff. And he couldn't do it. He could, he can't, it's a different time. People are asking Tom Brueggemann, our box office guy wrote a story explaining why you know, it, Michael Moore exists in a different universe than he did when Fahrenheit 9-11 did so well. But the miscalculation as well that, that, that hasn't really been acknowledged is that, yes, making something that is out of, out of the news cycle is a mistake, obviously, because people need things that are timely. But if you uh, don't want to try to make something that, that latches on to what the conversations that are people, people are having, you need to start those conversations yourself. So in other words, if you're not reacting to the news, you need to create news. And there's nothing new that comes out of this thing. So for example, Citizen Ford, I don't agree with that. I think there's Citizen stuff in Ford, there about Flint, Michigan that is way, way uh, more in-depth than anything I, that's but been that's reported. Not, that's not particularly... A lot of people that's not should national. have done that story. And but, but it's, you would have been better off. It's a little... It is it's, national... It's huge. Water is going to be an issue not, for, for not, years. I'm not downgrading the, what the, the government uh, did to them. Uh, uh, what, unconscionable. What, what, what the governor did there and, and, and Moore's gag there about putting him under citizen arrest is, is well-founded. And, and Obama's response is obviously upsetting because he didn't take enough of a stand against what was going on there. But what I'm saying is that I don't, I don't feel like that itself is enough to drive the news that most people are not going to go buy a movie ticket to see that. All when right, I, let's, let's point out the obvious that. fact here, which is that the two hour movie that Michael Moore has lived and breathed for, and you know, for 30 years at this point, you know, since, since uh, Roger and me, that that two hour movie in our fast moving, you were talking about social media amplifying what we're, what we're witnessing every day. It, it, it is in fact impossible to make that kind of movie now and have it be uh, timely. I, I mean, what Laura Poitras, Poitras did was break news and the, how rare is that? Yeah. I mean, but, but what she did, well, she, but what she, did I mean, she was part of that news of course, but also, had this incredible access that was sort of built on the shoulders of the work that came before that. That's true. My, my question, I guess, about Moore is, is like, if he's going to make a movie as opposed to a series, and 
to his credit, he was making series a series back in the nineties too. And so he could so. and he could go back to that format. Yeah, I mean, he's but, trying uh, to figure he, out how to communicate with people yeah, now. He is working on some kind of reboot for, for yeah. his show. But, right. but I think it's like if you are gonna do something in two hours, it needs to feel like it deserves that treatment. There are if you look at some of the fall movies, like you look at Roma, Roma could not be a TV series. It it is so specifically a movie of and course and so is cold war yeah Absolutely. and documentaries should be held to the same kind of scrutiny why is this this particular amount of time in this format you know you look at free solo that's a movie you look I'm not at dumping on michael moore i'm not dumping on this movie i think it's perfectly fine is it going to make it into the top five of the best films of the year no no but i think, okay? I, I think it's what not saying is also it was just it was it was not necessarily the best application of his talent at this particular moment. I think that's he's what he's doing. What he knows how to do, and and I I feel for him actually. I think I think it's difficult to to make those transitions. I would like to see the Michael Moore brand continue to have some point, kind of resonance, and it's too bad that in this particular case it hasn't seemed to do that. I know he's he's a little older now, but it seems like he's still a fighter. So the hope is that no, but I think he's outweighed his welcome in some. What's the word? Um, outlasted. Is welcome. Well, the movie is kind of actually about that to to some degree. Well, he's trying to pass the torch to a younger generation. He was smart enough to acknowledge that. Yeah, exactly. So the other uh, festival update is that New York Film Festival is happening. Uh, I'll be there with with our New York folks, and it'll be there in a couple of weeks for the closing night weekend. I have to tell you, it's really nice to see such a tightly curated festival. Uh, where most of the quality has already been endorsed by its premieres elsewhere. The decision to focus on world premieres seems to have been very smart strategically, not just in, from a curatorial perspective, because from what I've heard, they're selling out. Nobody's complaining because they don't need a movie like, say, The Walk that premiered there a few years ago as opening night film that maybe some people like, some people don't like, just because it's a world premiere. You don't need that in a festival where it's, there's like you know something like thirty films in the main slate. I've seen most of them, and they're they're good movies. They so. made the decision to take these movies that were going to be and make them play for the local audience, and their ticket sales have gone up as a result. Um, and I think they made the right call. So I'm really looking forward to watching the favorite again with a bunch of cynical New Yorkers because I know they're going to have a blast with this. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you that experience. It's going to be a lot of fun and then see what else is kind of playing around. I mean, there's there's stuff that it will resurface that, it, that has already had an interesting life on the circuit, like, say, Errol Morris's documentary about Steve Bannon and American Dharma, which still hasn't sold. I think Because York, nobody wants to get close to it. But I think New York lefties, you know, the, the, they'll play maybe well for that audience, I would hope. I think it's a movie that does deserve an audience and should be talked about and talk about a movie that is in the news cycle. So that'll, that'll be an interesting one to see, you know, how it plays. And then you have other, other things that we've kind of come, come back to over the course of the last few weeks and months, like Borders going to be there and, and, and stuff like that. Um, the Claire Denis film, High Life, which I thought was terrific out of Toronto and got acquired by A24. That's opening next year, but I think New Yorkers are going to flip for it. I, I really, really, I saw this movie kind of late in the game, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, relatively speaking, I'm not one of the first kind of, you know, big uh, fa- fanboys as it were, but I really do think that this movie is going to be a cool one 
to to kind of pick through. It feels like it's it's Claire Denis style opening itself up to a, to a to a broader crowd. With those. I'm glad that they're showing Private Life to Mara Jenkins movie. I still need to see that one. I'm playing that one in a couple. So of days. good, and yeah. Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti are great, and it's a very New York movie. It's set in New York about New Yorkers, and it's less. Um, it's more of a marital drama and less of a comedy than you would expect with those very funny actors, but but they're funny too. And then I'm going to try to go check out if Beale Street could talk again, which is going to have this, you know, kind of uh, rock the Apollo style thing at the Apollo, which is, is that's a great idea. I wish I could be there. I mean, that was a movie that nobody really knew until the last minute how it was going to play, and it played well. And it plays been, well. It played, it played well in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. in Toronto, the risk with a movie like that was that it is a very small, intimate piece of filmmaking and, and, and you know, has to stand out, but I think the New York Harlem crowd is going to really go for it, and that's going to create some terrific word of mouth into release, so that's going to be another really fun one to talk about. And then you have other highlights from can you have things like Happy is Lazaro from uh, Liche Rohrwalker, which is actually a really fascinating kind of magical realism fable like thing that I can't wait to return to because uh, it's going to Netflix and I think it actually it's a 35 millimeter kind of a big screen movie that I'm looking forward to revisiting. Uh, I was pretty sleepy when I saw it at Cannes, to be totally I was, too, um, for various reasons. That's a movie that I liked very much until it really went a little bit off the deep end in the last half. I mean, I'm all about a a, a great, you know, kind of swing into some kind of really bizarre... Well, there were some cliched elements of that, which we won't get into. Yes, so we can argue about that later on. And you've got Burning, which uh, Lee Chang... Which I highly endorse. ...brought to Cannes, and that's... That's, That's the Korean entry. Yeah, and and, and I think well-deserved. And Lee Chang-dong has never been appreciated enough in North America, so that's going to be a really cool one to check out. I'm currently making my way through the 14-hour Argentine film La Flor, which uh, I'm not exactly sure yet why it's a 14-hour movie, but I am intrigued by it and the fact that it's in the main slate of the New York Film Festival gives you a sense of the kind of... uh, specificity through which this festival is programmed. I mean, it's programmed for New York cinephiles and and people who want to see a range of quality cinema. And and what it's doing on some level is it's elevating movies like that alongside Roma or The Favorite for a little window of time when you can actually provide this sort of snapshot that would otherwise not be viable. So I, I, I really think it's cool to see the way this program has uh, sort of settled, and uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see how things play in the weeks ahead. But I'm I'm looking forward to having you come out here next week. I guess we'll have a chance to uh, kind of take a look at how the favorite actually played on opening night. But I'm sure there will be other updates uh, as as award season continues to gain momentum. I'm not gonna. Hope that you're resting up well this time because I know that the busyness is already starting. I'm on it. Believe me, it's crazy. Stay, stay, stay with it. It's it's we're fighting for a good cause. So. Okay. I'll Talk to you, you later, Eric. Bye. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.